Our scripture passage today comes from John chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. Hear God's holy and infallible word. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, so the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help. So let us begin with a moment of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us, that we might know who you are and have life through your Son, Jesus Christ. Illuminate your word to our hearts. May it have its full work in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's been a couple weeks since we've been together with... The holidays having passed, and of course the holiday of snow shoveling, I'm sure many of you got in as well. And I wanted to talk about a Christmas present I got, and now it seems a little weird, but I'm going to do it anyways. I hope you got great gifts this year as you celebrated the holidays with your family. The one that I appreciated the most from my family was this gift that each of my daughters gave me. It was a pair of socks. That seems kind of lame at first, but there are actually two pairs of socks. Uh, one is kid-sized, and one is dad-sized. And so you can wear these matching socks together. And so, of course, we've been doing that. Uh, and it's just one of these really cool things that our, our family found and gave to me. And it's a fun way that I can interact with my children and love them. And this idea of children mimicking their parents is something you're probably familiar with, especially if you have kids. Uh, you'll notice they say the same things you do. They might have the same kind of quirky things that you do. They might try to dress the same. They might follow you around while you're doing housework. You know, you have the, the young boy pushing the fake lawnmower behind his dad in the lawn during the summer. 
And this is how children learn. We learn to love. We learn what it looks like to serve, to have responsibility, what it means to be a member of our household. It's the natural way in which children learn through mimicking their parents. And this is an imagery that helps us a little bit as we think about what Jesus is getting at here in this passage. But it doesn't get us close enough. Because Jesus isn't just telling us that he is mimicking his father. He's not simply a child who's wearing matching socks or pushing around a toy cart pretending to be his dad. And his dad is not merely an earthly father. We're told in the opening verses of this passage that Jesus is making a direct and clear statement that he is equal to his father, equal to God himself. And Jesus is making such a high claim here that if he's wrong, it's the most blasphemous thing he could possibly say. That God is his father and that he is equal to him. And yet, when Jesus is confronted in this passage here from the religious leaders of his day, he doesn't shy away. Instead, he doubles down. If you want to remember where we came from in our last passage, Jesus had healed an invalid man who had been laying by a pool waiting to be healed, hoping in some superstition to be healed. And Jesus came and he healed him and he told him to take up his bed and walk. And the religious leaders were upset with him because it was the Sabbath and Jesus was healing people and he was telling this guy to pick up his bed and walk, therefore doing work. And he ended that interchange by saying, my father is working until now and I am working. And then we are told in verse 18 that they wanted even more to kill him because he was making himself equal to God. And so Jesus is going to double down in these verses to prove, to put all of his cards on the table, to show how equal he truly is to the God of Israel, to the God these men are trying to honor, to the God these men are trying to defend. Jesus is going to equate himself with the Father. Jesus being God is not something that's new to us as people who have grown up in a Christianized area, uh, likely in churches, uh, and we're part of a church that we believe in the divinity of Christ, and yet oftentimes we are prone to have a very kind of narrow view of who Jesus is. We often want to reveal, uh, to primarily think of Jesus as the revelation of the love of God. Uh, You know, think about the Christian culture in general. Uh, There's a characterization of Jesus as being an embodiment of God's love for the world, as the one who saves us, as the one who is bringing us forgiveness. And all of those things are true and right and necessary. But we tend to avoid wanting to equate Jesus with the God of the Old Testament, the God who executed judgment on nations, who called for the slaughter of people, who seems more harsh than Jesus of Nazareth. And we want to divide these these characterizations into different things and think of Jesus in this more narrow view, even as we've celebrated Christmas, perhaps. You know, Jesus, meek and mild, baby in a manger. Who could be more sweet? 
And yet Jesus, as he is talking about doing the Father's work, he's expanding our view of who he is and what he is about. So Jesus is equal to the Father in how he works. Verse 19 tells us this. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. In greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. We begin to get a glimpse of how the Trinity is at work. We believe that God eternally exists in three persons. One God in three persons, distinct and yet the same in essence and power and glory. Jesus has been sent. The Son has been sent by the Father to do His works. Nothing that the Son would have done upon His own authority or His own agenda, but to do the agenda of the Father. He comes as a servant. He comes denying himself to do the Father's will perfectly. This is what the religious leaders are seeking to do. They're seeking to do the Father's will perfectly by keeping the Sabbath perfectly. Of course, they fail regularly, every day, all the time, and so do we. They were unwilling to acknowledge their failures. And yet Jesus is coming to fulfill all that the Father has commanded him. He does nothing of his own, but only what the Father has sent him to do. Everything that Jesus does is a direct relation to what the Father does. When Jesus heals that man, the Father heals that man. It's almost like Jesus is an ambassador. If you're an ambassador for the United States in some country off yonder over the seas. Everything you say and do is a representation of the government of the United States of America. There carries a lot of power with that. And even that doesn't come to the point that Jesus is making here. Because the things he does are directly from the Father. Jesus has always been the mediator between the Godhead and the world that he has created. He is the God who showed up as the cloud and the pillar of fire in the Old Testament who led the people out of Egypt and through the wilderness and into the promised land. He is the glory cloud and he is Jesus of Nazareth. He is this man who has come, God in flesh, to reveal to us what the Father is doing. And he says there are greater works to be revealed that we may marvel. Jesus has in mind two works that he explains here as he doubles down on his equality with the Father. Jesus is equal to the Father in his judgment, and Jesus is equal to the Father in how he can give life. So first, Jesus is equal to the Father in his judgment. Verses, verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as you honor the Father. 
Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is making it very clear. He is the one who has the authority to judge. He is the one who is seated on a throne who will judge. And the reason he is given this authority is so that he will receive the same honor that the Father has received. They will be equal in honor and glory. And so dishonoring Jesus, these men who are seeking to kill Jesus, their dishonor of him is dishonor of the Father who sent him. But it begs the question, what is Jesus going to judge? What is Jesus going to judge? He is going to judge everyone. Primarily, he is going to judge sin. It's the great problem that humanity has with God. We talked last week about two different, two weeks ago, about two different ways in which people come to God and approach him. One was through superstition. You know, hopefully God will do something if I just show up in this time and place like the man who wanted to go into the pool to be healed. And then you have the way these religious leaders were trying to lead the people in, in a way of appeasing him. God is, needs to be appeased, so we must act perfectly so that he doesn't have displeasure towards us, judgment and wrath. And in some ways, those Jewish leaders are right. There is a judgment. There is a standard. The problem is, there's no way for us to keep it. We've all fallen short of it. And so there is no way to appease God's judgment in the way that they want to, to will ourselves towards him, to do enough good works to make up for the bad works that we've done. What are the sins in our lives that are causing us to fall under God's judgment? What are the things that Jesus is going to judge? There are several lists throughout Scripture. Ten Commandments is a great place to start. There's a place here in Colossians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul exhorts believers to do this. Put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. Because mankind is sinning, the wrath of God is being stored up in judgment, and Jesus is the one who will execute this judgment. Paul goes on to say, You must put them all away. Anger, malice, wrath, slander, obscene talk. Do not lie to one another. Put on the new self. Those are all very broad categories. I hope you can find a way in which you fit. I know I can. How many of us can say that we don't struggle with any sin in our lives? That we went this entire week without getting angry or upset or doing something that is selfish? Let alone forgetting to honor God for who he is. And this is the judgment that Jesus is going to execute. It's a sobering 
reality. But it's a necessary thing for us to understand so that we can understand who Jesus is and what God is doing in the world. As we think about who Jesus is and the images we have of what he is like, we must not forget images like this one from Revelation chapter 19. When Jesus comes in judgment, it says this, I saw the heavens open up and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a shocking image. Jesus on a horse bringing judgment, fiery eyes, a sword coming out of his mouth, ruling with a rod of iron, crushing the winepress of God's wrath. Does that fit in our view of who Jesus is? Well, it must. We must realize that the judgment of God is represented in Christ, and he is the one who has been given authority to execute it. Thankfully, that's not all Jesus does. Thankfully, Jesus is not merely a judge only. Thankfully, our religion is not one of trying to appease a man coming on a horse with a sword in his mouth to execute judgment. No, because our God is also one who gives life. Jesus is equal to the Father in how he gives life. Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to all whom he will. Verses 24 and 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he doesn't come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And just as we think of God as being the one who has all judgment over all people because he is God over all, And he has given that authority to the Son, and so it is with the ability to give life. Jesus is the one who can give us life, who can transfer us from death into life. Those who hear and believe have eternal life. Remember the beginning of John's Gospel, he talked about how Jesus came to his own people, but they didn't receive him. That's what's happened here. 
The religious leaders have not received Jesus' testimony. They won't hear him, and they won't believe in him, and therefore they've lost not only a chance to be part of what Jesus is doing, but they've lost the Father. And they are not going to escape judgment. They have not passed from death to life. The Father and the Son have life in themselves. God is the author of life, the creator of all things. And Jesus is the only way we can escape from this judgment and to have life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At the right time, while we were still weak, Christ came. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we deserved the judgment, Christ died for us. And so Jesus doesn't just give life out like freebie tickets at a carnival. Jesus gives out life because it's in himself. And he paid for it with his own life. All of the sins we've committed, he has taken the punishment for. All of the wrath and fury of God's judgment, Christ executed on himself so that we could have life. Submitting himself to torture, to shame, to mockery, living a humble life as a man, God himself coming in the flesh, dying the death of a sinner like you and me, that we might have peace with God. Remember that assurance of pardon from Isaiah 53, crushed for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. It's the time of year where many people make New Year's resolutions. We want to do better this year. That's not a bad desire. I've made some myself. I've already failed to keep them all, as I'm sure you have as well. Oftentimes, we get caught up in our society trying to better our lives. We busy ourselves with activities. There's no greater resolution we can have this year than to try to grow in our knowledge and wisdom of the Lord, to see Jesus for who he is, to reflect upon the sin in our lives that ought to execute judgment on us, to read through Scripture, to come to church, to listen to God's Word and to let it have its effect in our lives. To not hide from our sin, but to acknowledge it and to bring it to the one who has dealt with it. When we think about Jesus as this reigning king who executes judgment, it ought to bring sobriety to our lives. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
There is a healthy kind of fear we can have of God. It's the beginning of knowledge. As we see Jesus for who He is, the one who holds all judgment in His hands, it ought to cause great reverence. It ought to sober us as we stand before Him to worship Him. It ought to cultivate in our hearts such a thankfulness that we can be made right with Him. We have to fear His judgment, and yet at the same time, we don't come in fear as those who don't have an answer. We come in with reverence and awe, knowing that Christ has paid our penalty. And we see Him through for who He is, both the judge and the judged, who has made us God's sons and daughters. May he remind us of the glory of Christ, our King, who rules and reigns with great judgment, but with great mercy, with salvation for those who trust in him, giving them life that he has bought for us with a great price. And as he has resurrected from the dead, may we be resurrected to that eternal life as we've passed from death to life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Christ who rules over all things. Help us to see with sober minds his glory, his judgment, and the great gift that he has given to us in paying for our sins. May it change our hearts. May we hear his words and may we believe. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.